Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at I don't know. It's funny, like being isolated. How long has it been since we've been together? Eight weeks? Eight-ish? Uh, isn't it funny how after eight weeks of isolation and anxiety, right, and all that kind of weird stuff, how you just you realize how you've taken this for granted? And uh, I, I, I'm just so thankful to be here today with you. And uh, I'd have you touch your neighbor, give him a high five, whatever, but we're not going to do that today, all right? Um, But I'm so glad you made it here uh, this morning. Uh, I'm going to talk really quick about uh, being a part of a big story. You and I are not called to be small-framed thinkers. We're called to be big story people, right? I think one of my problems with church, if, if I could just get into this, this little talk here today, I think one of my biggest problems with being in, in church, at least growing up, is this sense that, um, and it's not necessarily intentional, but there's, there's always kind of been this sense that the story that we have from Jesus is small in the sense it's just about me and Jesus and getting our life back together, and that's kind of about it. But the story of Jesus is so much bigger than that. Can I get an Amen. So we are big story people, and this is the talk that I, I want to uh, share with you uh, this morning. My passage really quick is Genesis chapter 15, Genesis 15, and I'm going to read six verses. Before I do that, I want to talk, and this is just my big idea over the next few weeks, okay? And I'm going to do my best to uh, kind of flesh this, this uh, brief thought out. Uh, but big, the big story or the big idea about the big story is about righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. So really quick, before I read uh, this, this passage, I want to uh, share what righteousness is. Um, it says in verse 6 that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as what? And I promise we'll get to that here quickly. Righteousness though, and, and I think there's, um, I think we have a tendency to like misinterpret or misapply words. I just want to clear up the idea about righteousness. Righteousness is not merely doing right things. Um. Righteousness is not like cold, frozen, Uh, it's not impartial, it's not like an unfeeling reality. Righteousness is not just um, following the rules, right, cold duty, whatever. Uh, For a lot of Americans, when it comes to righteousness, our attitude is um, shaped around uh, the concept of getting the bad guys. So righteousness is like getting all the bad guys the politicians, the powerful who are corrupting the world, right? If you're a conspiracy theorist, like you're totally, that's your version of righteousness, okay? Um, but righteousness uh, is way more than that. Um, according to one scholar, righteousness is life, and I want you to hear me, is life with all of your relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people, and even your relationship with creation as being well-ordered. How many of you think that's good news? So righteousness is much more than just you getting right with Jesus. It's about the, your, your entire life um, being formed by joy and shalom. Righteousness is when all relationships are harmonious and flourishing, right? This is the big story of Christianity, 
It's not just God healing us, and it is. Please hear me. It is God healing us. Coming to Jesus is all about how God wants to rescue us and put our life back together. But it's so much more than that, right? The story of following Jesus is about how God wants to get, yes, you and I right, but it's about the healing and the restoring and the renewing and bringing creation into uh, flourishing. We are big story people. The story, the Christian story, is transcontinental, it's global, it's, it, it spans space and time, it's multi-generational, can I get an amen? It's big-framed, it's expansive, it's cosmic, it's, it's, it's personal, but it's cosmic, and it's also about the future. You'll never hear in scripture that there are some things that are impossible with Jesus, Right? Or there are some things that, yeah, I guess they're too hard uh, for the Lord. No, you never hear that in the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is centered on Jesus who does impossible thing after impossible thing after impossible thing. You guys were really excited in worship. Please get excited. Right? From the resurrection of Jesus to the calming of the Sea of Galilee to the radical healing of sick people, God is doing something profound, altering the structure of creation itself through Jesus. This is why we walk by faith and not by story, not by sight, because we are a big story people, and this big story people is centered around righteousness, and righteousness is centered around miracles after miracles that God wants to do in our lives and through us, right? So we come to, this is the, the, the framework of Genesis 15, and we come to Genesis 15, and we'll begin in verse 1. And uh, the story goes, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Everyone say the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And this is what God says to Abraham. He now enters into conversation with him, and he says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. How many of you know we need more fear nots? Fear not. We need to hear that today. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram then responds. Abram, will his name changes to Abraham if you're not familiar with scripture. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. So what is Abram doing here? Any thoughts? Any questions? We're a smaller uh, crowd. He's what? He's doubting. Yes, more specifically. Fearful? Yeah. Any other thoughts? He's talking about like he has no, no son. God promised this to him. What do you think is happening? One more person. I like this this morning. Hmm? He's in the now. He's in the present. Yeah. So obviously, and we're going to talk about this here pretty quick, but Abraham is being honest with God. But what is he talking about? He's talking about the future. Abraham is concerned about what? The future. So verse 4 says, and he continues, and behold, the word of the Lord um, came to him. And this is what God tells Abraham. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son. Now remember, Abraham's what, 75, Pastor Ken-ish years old. 
him and his wife are way past um, the time of bearing kids. And God is giving him this promise. You shall have a son. He doesn't have a son, but you shall have a son and he shall be your heir. We come to verse 5. And he brought him outside. God did. So Abram was in a tent. And this is what, I love this. This is what God tells Abraham. Look toward heaven and number the stars and see if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Okay, so really quick, what is God doing here? He's give, he's, is, is he enlarging Abraham's perspective? Right, so Abraham is kind of, he's, he's defined by the now and the present, right? And so it, it seems, correct me if I'm wrong, that he's, enlar- he's giving Abraham a big frame way of seeing the world. Would you agree with that? But what is, what is God doing? He's actually speaking to Abram about his future. And then we come to verse 6. And so Abraham, the, the passage tells us, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Could you say believe? And Abraham, what? He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as what? As righteousness. Uh, Let's just pray really uh, really quick. Father, I just thank you for your grace. And uh, we just thank you that you are here. Lord, we are so thankful that we are back together in your presence. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace. Lord, we thank you for being with us the last eight weeks. And everyone said amen to that. Lord, we thank you that you, you have not left us. You have not forsaken us. And so we, uh, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, this morning. Just say what you want to say. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. A uh, long time ago, I was about six, maybe seven uh, we were living in Portland at the time, and my dad, and I remember this story, just, I think, recently gave me a bike at that time. And so um, I was learning how to ride this bike, figured it out, and I was going up and down the, the street, and I've shared this story before. And I remember on the side was um, a big mound of mud, and I think there was some dog stuff in it as well, okay? I don't want to get too graphic. So I'm about six, Okay. And I'm learning how to, how to ride. And funny story, at that time was one of the worst stories for me personally. Um, but I remember kind of going back and forth looking at this uh, piece of mud as I'm riding the bike. And I remember thinking, oh, God, please don't let me fall into that mud pit. And this probably went, went on for about 10, 15 minutes. And I just kept on thinking... Everyone say imagine. I kept on imagining falling into this mud and there was dog poop, okay, in there. And so at the end of 15 minutes of thinking about this, the weirdest thing happened. I, I, I'm telling the truth. God is my witness here today. I don't know how it happened. I mean, it's one out of a million, right? Uh, it's one of those impossible things that happen. I... I remember I'm my, kind of on my last leg. I'm, I hear my mom calling. I'm going back into the garage. And as I'm passing this um, mound of mud and other stuff, I remember getting distracted. Everyone say distracted. I got distracted with just that. 
And I don't know how it happened. My foot got caught in one of the pedals. Again, I didn't even know it was, it was demonic, right? I think there was a demon and it tripped me and I fell my head guys. I'm not joking. God is my witness. My head, my head fell right in the, not on the side, please hear me, but right in the middle of this huge mound of mud and other stuff. Okay. It was horrible, right? Have you ever had stuff in your hair? It's horrible. I remember I went into, into the house screaming. Mom, she got me cleaned up. And uh, it's one of those moments that changed my life. I was in counseling for 10 years because of that. What's funny is that, and, and this is what I've learned, it's, just, it's really basic when it comes to riding your bike. If you, if you want to be effective at riding your bike or even driving your car, I think this is, again, I'm not, this is not like news to us, you got to keep moving forward, right? Um, and moving forward means being able to see what is in front of you, right? Right. If you get too distracted, of course you have to look if you want to turn, right? If, if you're in your car, if you're in your bike, you, you have to turn and look in your, again, if you're in your car, your rear view mirrors or whatever to see, to see if someone's coming so you can navigate traffic, of course, or you're riding your bike, you have to be able to see behind you. I think that's really important. Uh, and you have to kind of see what's around you, but the key to riding your bike and the key to um, driving a car is you've got to, you got to keep moving forward. Why are we talking about this, Chris? Because I think the bike is a metaphor for how we follow Jesus. If we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, if we don't keep moving forward, if we have no perspective of the future, um, just like driving a car or, or driving, driving or riding my bike, uh, it can lead to uh, bad things. It's important, in other words, that we are, our lives are framed by God's big story. How many of you would say yes to that? It's important that we, we allow the present, everyone say the present, our lives right now, what we're doing, raising kids, and now we're trying to figure out how to, what to do with the economy and work, and obviously COVID-19 is still out there. All this stuff that we're experiencing in the now, if we want to be effective in following Jesus, we have to learn to live in light of what Jesus says about the future. Now, why are we talking about this, Chris? Well, because our current mood is unsure about the future, Right? We're unsure about um, our bodies. We're unsure the last eight weeks. If you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, if you're on social media, if you watch Fox News, if you watch CNN, everybody, or you love the models and you're a statistician, right? And you're just, you're thinking about the future. Everyone's unsure about the future. We're unsure about um, our, our kids. We're unsure about the virus. Is it going to come back? Is there going to be another outbreak? This model says this. This model says this. The science says this. The science says that. How many of you have been a little bit confused the last eight weeks? I'm not making, I'm not making a statement about anything right now. I'm just saying I think this is our collective experience over the last eight weeks is that many of us have experienced, um, I think, confusion. Um, we talk about the economy, we're worried about our jobs, we're, we're trying to figure out what's going on. And I like just to say this, I think culturally, this has been going on for some time. This isn't just um, what's uh, happening during the pandemic, but I think culturally we've been pretty short-sighted. We've distorted time. For some time, I don't think we've had capacity for looking 
forward into the future. We haven't had vision for the future. And I think this is why we are suffering the way we're suffering. And here, hear me what, I, what I'm saying. I think our current moment is being shaped or has been shaped for some time, for years and decades, by diminished expectations about the future. And I think this is why we live for the moment, right? We got cultural imperatives that are like, okay, just be in the moment. And I think we need to be in the moment. And being in the moment is all we have. Can I get an amen? But I, I sense a, a, a despair behind our cultural imperative of just living for the moment. I think the reason why we simply live for the moment is because we have a diminished expectation of the future. In other words, we don't believe the future is good. Can I get an amen to that? I'm speaking to um, where our culture is. Uh, in many ways, our culture is pastless. We have contempt for the past. We don't think we can learn anything from the past. And uh, we are futureless. Again, we have no vision for the future. In fact, one social critic called it cultural narcissism. Cultural narcissism is defined as a retreat back into the self because we're so disappointed about externals and institutions because they failed us. Have you ever been failed before by something outside of yourself, right? Many of us have, have experienced failure outside of ourselves uh, related to institutions or people or relationships. And because of that, people have retreated back to the self. We've now located authority in the self, et cetera, and we'll get into that. But this cultural narcissism is also defined by an obsession over living for the moment, and it's a subtle form of despair. In other words, I like to say it culturally, we're like riding on a bike, and we're blindfolded, and we don't know where we're going. We can't see behind us, and we can't see in front of us. Right? And so people are thoroughly confused. Why is this so important that we talk about this as it relates to our text in Genesis 15? It's because a church, everyone say a church, a church or a people of God um, built around a culture of immediacy and just living for the moment, a church driven by consumerism where we maximize personal benefits for ourselves cannot last. If we want to be a church built for not just our own benefits and our own comfort and our own pleasures, we have to live beyond the now. Can I get an amen to that? In the words of one scholar, uh, we are not called as humans to simply live for a feeling of personal well-being and psychic security. As Jesus followers, if you're a Jesus follower here today, please hear me. We are more than consumers. We're more than clients. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we belong to Jesus and we are then included, if we belong to Jesus, we are included in this one big participatory kingdom. You are not a spectator, right? This is the big story that Jesus has given us. Jesus makes it very clear that we are actors, not spectators in the kingdom of God. So we've been living, and I promise I'll get back to this text, and I just want to share just a few thoughts about faith in this big story. But we've been living in an age of anxiety uh, for some time now. And that anxiety in, in, uh, over the last few weeks has been exasperated by COVID-19. I don't want you to remember, anxiety is all about a what if, right? When you're anxious, what do you do? You what if your life, right? 
Uh, you what if such and such happens? You think about that over and over and over. That's how anxiety works. Anxiety is formed around the question of what if in the future something happens? Like this, what if I get stung by a murder hornet? Like, what, ev- what is that? Like, you're like, Chris, well, it's in Washington State. They're coming to Idaho, right? It's like, it's what if, right? Some of you, the, the last few weeks, it's been what if this happens to my business, Right? Or what if this happens to my body? Or what if this happens to um, my friends or my, my parents? Right? That's anxiety. That's how anxiety works. Anxiety works around the question of what if this happens in the future? This is our working definition of anxiety. Anxiety is imagining a future world without Jesus in it. The Bible calls this, and this is my paraphrase, to be short-sighted. Corey Tenboom, I, I quote her a lot. Uh, She has some great thoughts on anxiety. She says this, worry anxiety is moving ahead of time without Jesus. It's carrying two days at once. How many of you want to do that? Or five days, or for some of us, one year at once. We can't do that. We're not designed to do that. Anxiety, she says, doesn't uh, empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It only empties today of its strength. Right? Anxiety, in other words, is a problem which is structured around the question of what if but it's also a problem about the future, a future world where Jesus is not in it, which will exhaust you in the present, right? This is what faith is, though. Faith is the opposite of anxiety. Faith is imagining the future or a future world with Jesus in it. Can I get an amen? Faith is not getting ahead of time, but it sees time for what it is the future, the past, the present. Whose is it? Is it ours? No. It's God's, right? And faith is learning to carry the future as Jesus sees it. Can I get an amen? And when you learn to carry the future as Jesus sees it, that is where you'll find peace in your life. And that is how you'll manage, everyone say manage. That's how you'll manage all the complexities that happen in the present. In fact, it's, it's funny, uh, I, I'll just, because I like to research a lot, I'll um, go to a lot of pop psychology websites and, and read stuff, and it's funny how they, um, they'll focus on anxiety, and they'll talk about how you can cope with anxiety and defeat anxiety, and they talk about mindfulness, that's great. They talk about breathing techniques, that's great. I think we need to breathe more. Uh, they talk about gratitude. We talk a lot about gratitude here at church, and I think that's really important but what, what I find interesting with pop psychology and their attempt to defeat anxiety is that it's all an attempt. Everything they offer you is an attempt to manage anxiety in the present. And that means that they really have no answers about the future. So they just try to like, okay, we're just in the moment. We're going to try to give you some coping mechanisms to help you in the present to defeat this anxious thought, which I think there's some good things that they can offer. All truth is God's truth. Can I get a right? But the problem with a lot of pop pop psychology is that they have no answer for the future. And I'm sorry, that's great. Give me some coping mechanisms for the present. But man, I need somebody, and if you're anxious, I'm sure you need somebody to come and tell you that, hey, in the future, it's going to be okay. And that is what the Christian story offers us today. 
That is what Jesus offers us. In fact, that's what separates the story of Jesus apart from every other story that we find in our culture. Jesus looks to our future and says it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Right? That is what faith is. Faith is looking to the future and defining the future as Jesus sees it. So in the passage that we just read really quick, you have the conversation with Abraham and God. Abraham is in his tent. He's obviously thinking about his future, right? Abraham is futureless. He's trying to think some things out. So God calls him out of his tent and he says, look up into the sky as we read. So Abraham looks up into the sky, he looks at the stars, he starts to count them. Obviously, when God said, I want you to count the stars, God is not saying, I want you to actually count the stars. Right? Can I get an amen? Some of you are like, that was a, that was a profound thought, Chris. God, in other words, God is not simply giving Abraham like a math lesson. Okay, here, here how you, this is how you could do calculus, right? And so and, uh, we could apply this to astronomy and you could figure out how many stars are out there. No, God is saying... Um, Something more profound. When he, when he gets Abraham out of his quarantine, right? How many of you want to get out of quarantine, right? Gets him out of his isolation and his anxiety, brings him out and then forces him to look up into the stars. God is saying, basically, that he is the one that owns all the stars, right? He's the one that owns the gravity, the supernovas, right? He's the one that takes all the stardust, and he's the one that invented all of that. In other words, what God is telling Abraham is that he owns reality. Can, I think that's pretty good. But it's, it's deeper than that. As Abraham looks up into the stars, and he gets a bigger perspective of who God is, God then says, so shall your offspring be. What is happening here? God is speaking to Abraham, as we've been talking about, about his future. In other words, God is saying, hey, Abraham, I own the future. I don't know if you know this, but God is tenseless. As Americans, in our English language, we, we don't even know how to like wrap our mind around that. God is not, in other words, contained in the present or in the past or in the future, God is tenseless. In other words, God is saying that I own the future, but he's also saying I own time. I'm not contained by the constraints of time. Like put your mind around that. So what God is doing, he's speaking to Abraham about his future. He's opening up the future to Abraham. And here we have in verse six, Abraham, because of that, Abraham's entire life is rearranged. Now, let me just say this really quick. I have found, I'm 40, I just turned 44 last week. I know I look 43, right? Um, I'm 44, and I, I think I'm getting a little uh, smarter, and I'm maturing a little bit more. And I've realized over the last, as I've looked over the last 20 years of my life, I realized that, you know what, God speaks to me more often than I realize, from the future. 
In fact, um, this is why I think when it comes to reading scripture, we cannot be dominated by the question, what does this mean for me right now? I have found many times when I go to God in prayer, when I go to God reading scripture, when I'm worshiping, that many times God speaks to me about what he wants to do in the future. It's just how God works, right? In fact, um, I've shared the story before, but uh, when I was 12 years old, all I wanted to do was play basketball. I had one goal was to play, that one goal was to play college basketball. So I went to this camp, and uh, there was a, a pastor who came, and he, he was um, prophetic. And so God was really speaking through him to a lot of the students. I happened to, I think, be the last person he prayed over, which is just like it. I was a little frustrated about that. Um, but I was the last, the last night, the last kid um, prayed over, and he came up to me. And I remember thinking this, God, because I was so dominated by, again, I was 12, and I just wanted to play ball and wanted to play college basketball. And so I just was like, I was just d- defined by the present. And I was just, I was asking in my heart, let this prophet prophesy that I'll be the greatest player in NBA history, right? Or at least right now that I'm going to win a championship this year, that I'm like, just like, just let him, just let it go, God, right? So he, he didn't pray any of that over me. What he did is he prayed the future over me. And I remember he came up to me and said, he goes, Chris, um, God's going to let you be a kid for a while. So enjoy it. I'm like, where's this going? But there's going to be a time where you're going to grow up and God's going to give you major responsibility in the kingdom of God. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap, right? I remember thinking that. I think I even used those words. I probably shouldn't say C-R-A-P, right? Um, Christian cussing, right? Have you guys Christian cussed at all in quarantine? All right. Some of you are judging me right now. But I remember thinking, oh, man. Um, and then he continued. He goes, not only that, but God's going to give you a wisdom gift. And I remember thinking, I don't want that. I just want to be like Mike, right? MJ, right? Last dance stuff. That's what I wanted to be. And then he said, there's a depth to you. And he just kept on just saying all this. He was prophesying over the future. It's funny how that one word altered everything in my life. That one word from the future changed everything. In fact, one uh, organizational behavioral theorist, his name is Fritz Rothelsberger. Uh, he was at Harvard Business School. This is what he said about how we change as humans. Listen to this. Most people think of the future as the ends and the present as the means, whereas in fact the present is the ends and the future the means. What is he saying? This is what he's saying. He said, many of us think that if we want to change right now in the present, how many of you want to change? Okay, about eight of you. How many of you want more peace in your life? Okay, a little more of you. Okay. Uh, If we want to change in the present, what he's suggesting, and what many of us actually do, what he's not suggesting, and what many of us actually do, is we try to like figure things out in the moment. We try to get our like our life together. We try to like um, work from the present so that we can change the future, right? So if I can do this right now, this is kind of how we think when it comes to change. If I can do this, this, this in the present, if I change this behavior, if I change this habit, then that's going to affect and change my future. In fact, he's saying that actually doesn't work. If you work from the present and you try to get in the future, that will never happen. What he's saying is you have to work from the place of a 
the future. You have to have a preferred vision. You have to see, you have to have a goal. Can I get an amen? And it's when you see the future that that begins to change you in the present. Uh, The translation of all that is basically he is suggesting that we have to have a definite vision or sense of of the future Uh, It is vision and mission that informs and alters how people think and how they behave in the present. Viewed this way, the future is a means. Everyone say the future is a means to alter our behavior. Amen. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, if you could put this passage up really quick. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do you change your present? You have to what? Look to Jesus. Jesus is our model, right? If Jesus is our model, then we should follow how he sees the future and how he understands the future and its relationship with the present. What does it say about Jesus? Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, come on, somebody. Don't get too quarantined on me endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So Jesus saw the future, and it was his his capacity to see the future that fundamentally altered the structure of the present. Jesus was, in other words, able to endure the worst kind of death and to go through the worst kind of suffering and to experience things that we couldn't even imagine because of the joy that was set before him. If you live for the moment, and if you're defined by the moment, or just living for the weekend, or just living for your success, or just living for the now, you can never, 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 never enter into the peace that God has for you. you, you in other words, if you, if you don't see the future, you do not have the resources or the capacity to handle suffering and the complexities of life. Endurance is not just, man, trying to grit life out, right? Trying to muster up as much strength as you can to make it through a hard time. That's not how we see endurance from a biblical perspective. Endurance is shaped by our capacity to see the future. Okay, so how do we do this, Chris? How do we be future people? How do we get connected to this big story of righteousness that you talked about at the very beginning, about how God changes all things, makes all things new? I'm going to give you three quick things, and then I'm going to end here. Number one, we find this in Genesis 15 passage. We have to be honest about anxiety. We have to be honest about anxiety. We have to be honest about what we're experiencing. In other words, we have to learn to identify it. Can I get any man to that? When it comes to conversation with Jesus, we usually think we ought to be something, right? We got to be more faith-filled. Please hear me. We got to be more mature. We can't Christian cuss. We have to have our lives together. Many people, the reason why they find it difficult to enter into a conversation with Jesus 
uh, is because they just feel like they have to, they got to be something that they're not. Have you ever experienced that before? So when it comes to, um, when it comes to being future people, when it comes to uh, Jesus putting our lives together and then making everything right in this world, we have to enter into a conversation with um, God. We have to enter a conversation with his word. And as we do that, we have to, we have to be honest about who we are. In fact, we, um, again, I think we think we have to be something um, rather than what we actually are when it comes to um, relating to Jesus. But what we find in Genesis 15 is that God wants you and I to pour our, our heart out to him. What did Abraham do? God comes to him and says, hey, Abe, you don't have to fear anything. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. And then what is Abe? I just love Abe. He knew God. He had been, he's had several meaningful moments with God. And he takes his complaint. And what does he do? He directs it to God. In other words, this is a confession moment for Abraham. Abraham takes his, his anxiety. He confesses it, right? He goes, I have no child no heir. He's basically saying, God, okay, if you're telling me not to fear not, but I, I have essentially no future. So how is this going to work? Many, many people think that we can't be honest with God. Can we please stop that? Many, many people think we, we have this weird divorce of faith and honesty. We assume that if we're faith people, that we can't be honest about our situation. Now, I think there's an issue to be said about complaining. God's not called us to complain, but we could even take our complaint and direct it to God, right? I think we just got to learn to be um, more honest with God. I think we're honest with people, which is great to a certain extent. But man, I think we need to practice the art of taking our honesty, our complaint, our lament, our anxiety. And before we take it to anybody else, let's take it to God. Like, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Mark Thornton, right in the front. I love him. I have so much respect for him. He is amazing. But Mark Thornton, he can give me some good advice about stuff, and he's really smart, right? And he loves people. How many of you love Mark Thornton, right? But Mark Thornton cannot fundamentally change me. Like he, he ain't my healer, right, Mark? You ain't my king. You ain't my savior, right? And I think many times we just make the mistake of going to people and assuming that they can change us. They can help us, right? We are, we, we do life together. Please understand what I'm saying. But ultimately, um, it's, it's God who, who changes us. So what Abe does, he takes his anxiety. He's honest about it. He presents it and directs it to, uh, God. And what I love about this, God doesn't rebuke him, right? God says, don't be afraid. I got everything in, in, in control here. And then Abe goes, well, I have no future. And then you don't see God grumbling and, and smack Abraham around and rebuke him, right? No. What does God do? God doesn't rebuke Abraham. He redirects him to his word. And this is number two. So number one, we got to be honest. This is how we be future people. This is how we, this is how we learn to get into the story that God has for us. We've got to be honest about our anxiety. We've got to be honest about our issues. And number two, uh, we have to redirect or we have to place our trust in how Jesus sees the future. We have to redirect our trust 
And we gotta place our trust in how Jesus sees the future. Verse six says, Abraham believed. Everyone say believed. Belief is not just knowing things about God. Can I get an amen? Belief is not just, um, it's not just abstracting things about God, right? Belief is not abstract. Belief is more like trusting someone. For example, uh, a couple years ago when my, we call them our big three, so Wesley, Quincy, Whitney, when they were four and five during the summer, we would take them on long country drives. At the beginning of the drive, I would tell them, hey guys, we're gonna get ice cream. We're gonna go to Dairy Queen at the end. How many of you like Dairy Queen? About four of you, all right. So we say, hey, we're gonna go to Dairy Queen and we're gonna get some ice cream, but we're gonna go on a country drive. And inevitably, if you have four and five-year-olds and you promise something like that and you go on a on long summer drive, they're gonna ask the question, okay, when are we gonna get there, right? So they kept, I remember they kept in this one particular um, uh, drive, they kept on saying, hey, we're, when are we gonna get there, dad? When are we gonna get there? When are we gonna get there? And, um, and I remember I, 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 I had to turn around a little bit and I looked at them and said, hey guys, you're just gonna have to trust me. You're just gonna have to trust me and when I said that, what I did not mean is that I wanted them to abstract about ice cream coneness and what it means to be human and, you know, what does it mean to be a dad, right? Obviously, that's not what I meant. When I said, I want you to trust me, what did I mean? I meant, I want you to trust my word. I want you to trust my promise. I want you to trust my authority that, yeah, we're driving and some things don't make sense and we're on a long country road because dad likes long country drives because you exhaust me, right? And I want to smell some mint. How many of you like summer mint, right? During, yeah, I love that. Uh, and that's what I'm, that's essentially what I was saying about trust. This is what trust is. This is what belief is. Belief is not an abstract thing. Belief is like trusting your dad and taking his word at face value. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, as we close here, says this. By faith, Sarah received, herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him. Just listen. Since she considered him faithful, who had what? Promised. She considered him faithful, who had promised. That's what faith is. Faith and belief is not whistling in the dark. It's not abstracting something about God. It's not knowing everything about God. It's simply rearranging your life around trusting Jesus at his word. And I think this is, more, this is really important and I'm gonna pray for us. We're living in an age of disinformation. People are confused. I'm gonna call it, it's, in, it's an epistemological crisis. We don't know who we can trust. I'm just describing where so many people are at. Like, do we trust this new source or do we trust this new source? And certainly there are more trustworthy news sources than other news sources. And I'm not gonna make a comment about that. I'm not gonna to try to politicize this. I'm just describing where our culture is at. They don't know who to trust, right? And I think when it comes to the words of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, if we wanna live in light of the future, we need to treat God's word as our primary source of news. You're gonna lose your mind if your primary source of news is what the models are saying over the next year. You're gonna lose your mind if Fox News is your primary source of news. 
or a CNN. I'm, I'm offending everybody here today. CNN is your primary source of news. I'm not saying you can't listen to them at all. I'm not making a comment of who you should listen about. Can I get any man to that? What I'm saying is if a commentator is privileged over God's word, I promise you the only thing you're going to get in the end is anxiety or misinformation or even trusted news sources. Only part of the story. I don't want part of the story. I want the story that Jesus is telling me. Can I get an amen? And so it's so important that we um, we privilege God's word over every other word, right? Um, I think many people, as we close here, I'm going to pray for us. I think many people are, are surprised that Jesus, and this is why it's so hard for us to enter into a conversation with Jesus, it's because many people are surprised that Jesus would speak with them. Um, I think, please hear me, I want to deal with doubt here today. I think we should be surprised if Jesus didn't speak his good, faithful word to us. We shouldn't be surprised that God would speak to us. I think we should be surprised if God didn't. Some of us are thinking, okay, how do I get into that word? Well, just this week, let's just take time in the presence of Jesus. We're Christians here, right? Maybe some of us are not, that's fine. But as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to get into his word and to listen to Jesus. And when we do that, we should be surprised if God does not speak to us. I promise you, God wants to speak to you. Do you believe that? Do we have believers here today, right? Man, I really believe that God this week wants to speak to you in fresh ways. Finally, number three as, as I close. So number one, let me say this really quick. We want to be honest about anxiety. Number two, we want to place our trust in how Jesus sees the future. We do that by opening our heart to his words. And number three, we have to surrender to God's word, even when it doesn't make sense. When God speaks to us, we have to surrender. Romans chapter 12 says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is that? That's a language of devotion and surrender. I've gotten better, okay, as I close here. I've gotten pretty good about being honest with my stuff over the last probably decade. I've gotten pretty good at opening my heart to what Jesus says about my future. In a moment of honesty, I think the hardest thing for me is to surrender all that to God. I think that's a hard thing for a lot of us. To surrender means to um, say that I'm not in charge, right? Surrender means, okay, I'm probably going to want to take back my faith in you, but I'm just going to keep my faith in you no matter what happens. That's what surrender is. No matter what the doctor's saying, no matter what the pundits are saying, no matter what is happening in life, even if it's crazy, surrender is saying, I don't have control. Surrender is not resignation. Surrender is simply saying, I'm not God. God, you're in charge. So I believe your word no matter what is happening in my life. That is what surrender is. And when, we, when we're honest about our anxiety and when we place our trust in the words of Jesus, right? And then we surrender to God's word. That is when we enter into God's peace. That is how we manage everything. That's how we walk the walk of faith, right? That's how we work everything that God has for us out for 
his glory. And everyone said, amen, amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. Lord, we are, we're big story people. Lord, help us to see the big story of Jesus. Lord, help us today to, to keep moving forward. Lord, give us a perspective, your perspective of the future. Lord, open our eyes to see your words. Lord, fill our hearts with your good and faithful words. Fill our minds with your good and faithful promises. Lord, if our hearts are, are filled with fear or anxiety or small frame thinking, Lord, I just thank you that you would set us free today in Jesus' name. Lord, we are people of faith. We're people of faith. As your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed, I just want to just ask this quick question. I know we got to be done here. You would, you would say, like, yeah, the last few weeks or so, I've really been anxious. And I've been really what ifing my life. Like, I'm concerned about my business or I'm concerned about how things are going to work itself out. Um, I'm maybe confused about stuff or I'm just, I'm uncertain, Chris. And I, I think maybe I wasn't able to name it, but I think what you're talking about is what I've been experiencing, and that's anxiety. And I need to give that to Jesus today. If that is you, no one's going to look around. I just want to pray for you. On the count of three, if, if that is you and you want me to pray for you, could you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Anyone like that? Okay, okay, okay. Many of you, you can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for those who raised their hands. I just ask right now that your good and faithful presence would come to them. I thank you that your word of hope would come to them. Lord, I thank you that they would know your love. I thank you that they would know your peace that surpasses all understanding. I thank you that they would get connected to your big story. Lord, I thank you that you would fill their hearts with your peace as they take this word today and as they apply it in their life. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.